This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom, everybody, and welcome to HTV Live. Hope all is well. Hope everyone's doing great. Um, today we're going to talk about sensitivity. You know, it's a huge topic, sensitivity, and it's um, it's a topic that that is usually used to be sensitive to, uh, you know, like uh, with speech and stuff like that. And that's certainly important. Um, but we're in an interesting time in that most people realize, I think, at this point that that um, that we're all being really sensitive not to give germs to other people during the Corona pandemic. The uh, you know people wearing masks and and being as sensitive as possible not to give over you know a disease to someone else which you may unknowingly be carrying. Anyway, the uh, so I had a funny experience today. I was in an office and a waiting room and sitting with my wife and wearing our masks. And, and uh, uh, across from us, across the room, was a, um, a man and a woman that were sitting. I don't know if they knew each other. They seemed to be chatting. And um, the, the woman was not wearing much. I mean, it is summer here in Jerusalem and in Israel. And uh, I guess she wasn't of the observant variety. And she, she wasn't wearing much, but she was wearing a mask. And the, and so, and so it seemed like she was very sensitive not to give over Corona, but it seemed she was giving over plenty of other things. And so, so this is, a, you know, just in a very interesting topic of how it affect people all the time. Like what's our, what's our effect? on others. Could be quiet, please? <laughs> What's our effect on others? So, so it's, um, you know, it seems like the whole world really wants to not get someone sick in case they're, uh, in case they're ill. Um, that seems to be universal. And, and then there's, there's, uh, um, drawing attention to oneself. Uh, maybe of, uh, you know, that's, that may be harmless, but it may be harmful also, you know, like, um, like, for example, um, maybe there is a, maybe there's a man in that office, there were several people, it's a big waiting room there, maybe there was a man in there whose, whose wife just uh, gave it to him, you know, meaning he, he just got a royal thrashing and their marriage is on the rocks anyway, and and uh, and and now he's got he's got his eye full of this uh, young lady sitting there, and and um, and now things are just getting worse because he's uh, you know why am I married to this one when I can have that one or something something like that. Um, it's interesting. There's a sensitivity thing that I always find funny is um, we live in, in Israel. We live in uh, communities where you either have children or dogs, basically. So, so the uh, so the the people with the black attitude have children, and uh, the secular people. Not everyone has dogs, but they have a lot of dogs. The Israelis are really into dogs, and um, but the thing is that because the Haredi uh, community lives with out dogs entirely and some of those people are, are not out and around the dog area like our neighborhood i live in the center of nachlo so we all live together here so we have six courtyards of black hatitude and um and we have um uh, you know and then the, the other like 
there's probably 30 courtyards are mixed, which means every secular family probably has a dog and, and the observant ones don't, but they're not black hat usually anyway, the observant ones. But all of us, including all the black hatitude people in these six courtyards, they're cool with dogs and dogs do not scare my neighbors. But in the, in the many Haredi neighborhoods where there are no dogs, and the family's now in a park, or they're walking by here or there or anywhere, and, or the street's the worst because they're kind of cornered, and someone's walking by with their German shepherd, who senses their fear and may even bark. Um, so in Hebrew, the way the, the, way the, um, the dog owner, always, they always say these words, Zelo um, Okay, they always say that. Zelo So here you have this family who are walking along rather peacefully, and all of a sudden they're just frozen in fright, and the kids are cowering under the parents' legs, and the parents are <laughs> parents are more freaked out than the kids. I mean, they're just everyone's just terribly frightened, and uh, and of course they all get this message zelo from the dog owner. So. So I've said to many dog owners, you know, when the dog's going nuts, sometimes the dog's like really aggressive and on, on a chain, but aggressive. And I said, Zelo Klum? That's nothing. You know, that's, Zelo Klum means it, it won't do anything. And it's like, it is doing things, okay? It's scaring the living daylights out of these people. That's what it's doing. That, that's something. Yeah, that's something. Thank you very much. It won't do nothing. What does that mean? It's not going to bite off one of those kids' legs or, or like, uh, jump onto the arm of the father protecting them? Like, hey, what do you mean it doesn't do nothing? It's doing a lot, that dog. You know, it's making a, it's having a major impact on these people's lives. I get the same thing when I, when I'm mountain biking, they, they're not chained. You know, all the people walking their dogs out in the mountains. You know, they park nearby and go for a beautiful walk in the forest with their dog. But it's a pleasure for them because they finally take the poor thing off its leash. And I personally think think at least big dogs don't belong in the city. I think it's cruel. I think it's uh, cruelty to animals to put them in, in. They shouldn't be indoors at all. Like, you know, give them a farm or something to be on. Otherwise, you know, don't coop them up. You know, I, I always feel this way when I'm walking around Manhattan and seeing the professional dog walkers because someone needed a partner. Someone needed a friend. And, you know, they were single at age 45. What do you do? You get a dog. Problem is you're a workaholic. You never see the dog. So you, someone's got to walk it. Otherwise, it's, you're going to have a mess in your house. And so these dog walkers walk with like, you know, five, six, seven, ten dogs. I, I've seen some massive, you know, amounts of dogs with dog walkers. It's, a, it's an actual profession in Manhattan. You could be a professional dog walker. Anyway, and dogs are dogs are interesting. They're you know they're the most faithful of all, and and they um, and so often people will choose dogs over people because you know people are a little treacherous. That's the fun of relationships with people is they they're like uh, you know they could say no, <laughs> they could stop calling you, they could not return your calls, they could they could um, they could just you know say say to hell with you you know like and the fact that they don't is so exciting that you know we we call that love you know. Is uh, you know, they 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 still keep me around, you know. Wow. Whereas whereas dogs, I mean, dogs you can you can not feed it, you can abuse it, and then dro- not feed it and abuse it and drop it like like thirty miles away, and it will make its way back to your door. Like it's like uh, faithful to a fault. That's why it's called a kelev. Kelev is kalev, like a heart. It's the pure faithful 
man's best friend. And, and um, I have a love dogs, by the way. And Golden Retriever is my favorite. But as I said, I won't put big dogs in the city, so I'll probably never have one. Um, anyway, but sensitivity. How can we all be sensitive? Like, how can we be sensitive enough? And, um, and, and what I'm talking about ultimately is that, is that what might be normal for us, like walking a dog or, or dress without a lot of clothing, uh, might be what might be completely normal for us, or maybe even normal for, for, uh, a society, a community, whatever they, um, maybe, uh, very insensitive to another person. And so, and so we really got to be, you know, ultimately, ultimately, um, you know, sensitive to the people in our environment, to the people around us. And, and maybe all the more so with people in our, clo- in our immediate families, you know, that, that we're sensitive to them. I think that, um, I think that it's pretty clear to all of us, uh, the, the people who are closest to us, like the people we live with, our immediate family, I think we all know more or less what, what are the soft spots, what are the nerves not to, not to stand on. And yet we, uh, we do anyway, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we use those, we, we use those, uh, those uh, sensitive spots, those trigger points. We use those, uh, against them sometimes. And it's, you know, that's really not, not fair. And, and so we got to be sensitive outside the house, but maybe all the more so we have to be sensitive inside the house. Um, I want to talk about, I want to talk about, uh, sensitivities in general when it comes to attention. What happens, um, human beings, human beings have either, either they're at peace with themselves and they don't need attention or they're not at peace with themselves and attention will somehow come to, you know, take care of the problem. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of forms of attention, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of attention. There's attention from, uh, uh, one's, uh, abilities like, uh, successes, uh, that generally success draws a lot of attention. Um, uh, there's attention, uh, physical, f- uh, facets of one's body can draw attention. Um, a car draws attention, um, clothing draws attention, a lack of clothing draws attention. Um, and then there's, there's other talents, artistic, singing, whatever, you know, all of these different things draw attention. And, um, what they do, what attention does is it, it, it promises to augment our otherwise, um, diminished sense of self. So human beings, uh, by nature have a diminished sense of self. They see themselves as lacking many ways and they and and so and so attention promises to to um, somehow uh, make better one's sense of self and um, but of course it's it's so short-lived it's it only works while you're getting the attention and the second the attention is gone you're back to zero you know you, you basically have no uh, no um, uh, none of the attention you got really lasts. And that's why, you know, so many rock stars will, you know, uh, choke on their own vomit four in the morning in a hotel room to be found, you know, a day later. 
you know, by their manager saying, you know, like, and everyone's like, what happened? It was the night of his, or her biggest concert. You know, everyone loved him or her, you know, like, that love's not attention. You understand? And the, and so it wasn't, it wasn't really love that they were getting. It was attention. And attention ultimately is the counterfeit of love. And they, and a very cheap counterfeit of that. So, so what we find is, is people get attention, but oftentimes when you're going for attention, you're, you have to suck it out of somebody else. Um, it's a, it's a usury type things, a type of thing. Um, before I knew what in the world was going on with me inside, um, I would say I was teaching for Asian, playing concerts for Asian Torah for a good seven years where I was unconscious to my need for attention and my diminished sense of self. I just wasn't conscious of that, and I was a rabbi. And so the way I like to say it is, during those seven years, I didn't give one class, and I didn't give one concert. I took a class, and I took a concert. Meaning I was going to take the attention of these people and take the, the attention of these people who came to whatever concert I was playing. And I was like a vampire. I'm going to, you know, suck the attention out of, out of you. And... Um, so then one day I had this, you know, amazing epiphany and realized that, wow, you know, I was, I've been saying, you know, like I've got an inner voice saying that I'm just not, you know, diminished sense of self, which for me was called unacceptable. And I was going to like suck the acceptance out of these people via their attention. And it was a bit of a disaster of a formula and, and, um, you know, of course, no, no one minded if they were the uh, event, if they were throwing the event, if they were running the program, and they were happy to have someone so entertaining. But for me, I just felt depleted. I just felt, you know, uh, at the end of that, I just, that big dark hole in the heart would be there. And it's, it's some un, um, you, you can't numb it unless you're going to do drugs or something. You know, that's, that's not a good long-term uh, uh, strategy. And, um, and not to mention ignoring people who already give you all their attention, like family and stuff. Anyway, so when I had this epiphany, I, um, I had a concert like that week. And I was on my way to the concert and I was thinking, hmm, why am I doing this concert? Like maybe I should just turn around. I don't need anyone's attention. You know, I'm, a, I'm an amazing person for who I am and what I need it for. And then I, you know, and imagine, uh, imagine I, I turn my car around and, and there's a concert for like 500 kids, you know, during the heyday of uh, groups coming to Israel. It's 500 kids waiting in a hall for the concert. And uh, can you imagine the concert organizer? It's Friday afternoon. It's, it's the pre-Shabbos. It's called the Beauty of Shabbos concert. Pre-Shabbos concert. Because these groups are... You know, they're secular kids, and they're pretty nervous about a 24-hour lockdown Shabbat and going to the wall with all the black hat people praying. And they're nervous about it. And the, uh, so this concert was designed, I don't know, we did this like 25 years ago, too. We designed it to, um, you know, to, to give everyone a, you know, a nice, relaxed feeling going into Shabbos. And, uh, but imagine I turned my car around and just went back home and the concert organizer calls me and is like and says you know where are you you know we have 500 kids waiting and i'd be like 
Oh, well, I figured out why I play all those concerts, so you can just send them straight to the wall. <laughs> I didn't do that. No, I kept driving. But when I played the concert, it was the first time, and I'd been playing concerts at the time. I was 33. I'd been playing since I was 11. So 22 years, I had never, ever given a concert until that night, that afternoon before showers. That was the first concert I ever gave. And and something really interesting happened with the feedback is the... I mean, first of all, you, you didn't need to hear feedback. You just saw the effect, you know, what it's like to have the musician giving, like really giving 100%. You know, there was no take. It was just give and love and, and clean. It was clean, burning clean fuel for that. Anyway, the, the kids went bananas. And I'm not that creative. It was the same concert that I always play, you know. It was like... And I rarely write a song, although I wrote one uh, the other day. I write anthems, really. I don't write songs. But I wrote a new anthem, um, a reggae anthem, actually. Uh, maybe I'll play it for you. Maybe I'll sing it for you. I haven't pulled out my guitar for it yet. I was hiking in the desert when, I, when it came to me. Um, but the... Anyway, but the feedback was from the Madrachim who uh, said that the, at the Kotel, these kids were, they'd never seen it before. The kids were more excited about Shabbos than, the, than people who actually keep Shabbos. And they were really excited about Shabbos after that. Anyway, but then the, my teaching also, that Sunday I came to Asia Torah to teach, and, and it was received like never before. Because how much do you receive from a teacher who's taking while he's presumably giving a class? I mean, how much do you get? You might get some of the intellect intellectual property that he's giving over but but uh, does it have that does it have that that um, pure transference no it doesn't transfer purely and because you get so much more from a class than just information and, and um, you know you're really picking up all kinds of stuff and probably blocking a lot of stuff too and anyway but my this was a defining point in my career. You know, yeah, I was I was super popular for those seven years. You know, for sure, super popular, and you know, Mister Entertainer, and uh, but really attention vampire, and and then and then all of a sudden it was like, boom, boom. So, so the so this is something that that all of us need to get in touch with, is our need for attention versus our. Um, our contribution and to really contribute in the world in a way that it's clean and it, it, it's burning clean fuel. There's no exhaust coming into the situation. You know, it's really just uh, clean and pure. And uh, that's, that's really the goal. That's really where we need to get to now. How do we put all this together? Cause it really sounds like two classes. It sounds like we had a class on, on uh, sensitivity and a class on, on attention. Um, so to put it all together is that, is that, we need to be sensitive within ourselves of how much we are taking and what is the and, and what is the um, what, what, what is the real price people pay for our attention what do people pay for that what, and if it has to do with uh, modesty of dress how, how much are other people's marriages taking from that um, or, or um, you know, anything we're doing, like I mentioned, walking a dog or cranking our music or whatever it is. But the uh, but what's the price we pay? You know, or maybe you're a social butterfly, but, you know, there were probably a few people who went home feeling like they never got to, you know, say something in the, at that event. So, so it's a, um, 
it's 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 something that if we build ourselves we don't need it we don't need it you know in my community um people dress very very modestly but it also kind of forces them to you have to be someone within how about the men i mean we all wear the same exact outfit we're all like we're dressed exactly the same we're all with beards we're all with payas like and we all look the same you know like that's why our taluses have our prayer shawls have barcode on them you know we all look exactly the same but but in a way it forces you just like a woman dressed modestly it forces you to go within you got to go within I mean, your individuality has to come from the soul because the not from the ego not from the diminished self that's going to somehow build his or herself up via externals but rather it's it's got to come from within you you know this has to be this has to be inner built and when it's inner built so then you're at the soul and once you're at the soul it doesn't need to be augmented by by anything really it's just pure pure soul now last thing i want to say is that is that the beautification of women is can be for attention but it is natural it is natural so so uh, we were just learning uh, recently in the talmud in the mesechus shabbos about you know it's the subject of caring which seems to be so far the entire theme of the book of shabbos is caring in a public property which is probably of the most ignored shabbos laws for people who try to keep some things but um, yeah, you can't carry in a public domain unless it has uh, a perimeter, you know, wire or something, some kind of perimeter to kind of make it inclusive in, in that area. Anyway, so it talks about different items that you can't carry, you know, and one of them is uh, makeup and um, eye makeup, mascara, I think it's called. I don't know. <laughs> don't ask me about what these things are called, but they anyway. So it was eye makeup, and the amount that was forbidden to carry was the amount it would take to do the makeup of one eye. And the Talmud immediately asked, like, what woman in the world is going to do the makeup for one eye? Why is that the minimum amount? Shouldn't it be... Shouldn't we be more lenient for the lady who accidentally happened to take out makeup for one eye? Because no one's going to use makeup for one eye. Shouldn't it really be two eyes and we'll be a little more lenient if someone happened to have only enough for one eye? And the, and the Gomorrah answers, well, um, the Jewish women are, are particularly modest. And they, they um, with their, you know, in those days, people covered, you know, like full, you know, uh, I forget what you call those, uh, heat hijabs, I don't know what they're called, but they cover their whole head, and they, they would only show one eye, you know, just enough to navigate with when they walked, they would only show one eye, that's how modest they were, so I know what you're thinking, like the obvious question is, if she's so modest, why does she need makeup on that one eye, but the Gamora doesn't ask that, it, the, our sages take it for granted that women beautify, women aren't just women, like men are men, women beautify, and and so they would they would put makeup only on the eye they show, which is just so interesting. It just shows you the nature, and it also shows you the understanding of our sages that the beautification woman isn't necessarily ego, and it's not necessarily attention. But this puts the ball, you know, it puts the challenge into every woman's hands right now, is, is what beautification is attention, and what beautification is an expression of inner beauty. What, where are you expressing inner beauty and where are you going for attention? 
which is a really interesting question. And, uh, and a fine tuning that like you see few women achieve where they've really figured out where their beauty is. And, and also you should know there's colors like, um, not every woman figures out her colors, but most women only have two, three, four max colors that are for her. Uh, my mother actually went to a color consultant. You could see like, she's so, she's so, uh, these colors really brought her out. Like you could really see the difference. She just got rid of all her wardrobe and bought the colors that the woman who, uh, who did the consultation in, in, you know, West LA, the, uh, you know, she just found her colors that draw her out, like draw out the inner beauty. So, so that's not attention. And this is a mistake that they make sometimes in, uh, in more observant communities, uh, meaning like hardcore Hasidic communities where women aren't allowed makeup and, and, uh, and they're like, you know, they're, they're just like, they're, it's a little brutal over there, but they also, those women, I've worked with a lot of them. I, I can't tell when I'm working with a couple, if the man's the woman or the woman's the man, they, the, the masculinity starts coming when you prevent women from beautification. So it's clearly a natural and, and real thing, um, women's beautification. But again, that balance that you're seeking is n nothing to do with attention and nothing to do with that diminished sense of self called the ego, but rather it's the, it's the um, um, dressing and adorning yourself based on the, your true essence and, and having that somehow shine through in the way you, uh, you know, uh, in your accoutrements. So uh, anyway, blessings to everyone, good health, and uh, thanks for joining me. Please follow, share, subscribe, click on all those things, and thanks to all these amazing media outlets that are uh, bringing Torah to the world. Uh, you can go on my website, Yom Tov Glazer, at, um, Sorry, my website's rabbiyomtov.com. Go on to rabbiyomtov.com and and uh, can become a member and help support the work I'm doing or join a program I'm doing. It. Also, I've uh, this coming week men's seminars uh, on Zoom. Uh, really, really powerful. Something definitely worth doing. It'll be from three to five p.m. Eastern time next week for men. Probably women the following week. Just had an amazing group of women this week. We finished tonight. And uh, the Possible Youth Seminar has gone, you know, gone, uh, you know, virtual. <laughs> and it's, it's just been really special. So, so join me. Okay, blessings everyone, all the best. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.